We've been talking about all the different ways that the church has kind of taken different forms in uh, the history of the church. And so we started out with one church. And from the one church, we split to two. So we had the Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox. And as those branches kind of went their own way, then in history we had another separation. And this, separa- uh, this break was a major break. It's called the Reformation. So what comes from this, it was this idea that they're going to protest the way that the Catholic Church expresses the Christian faith. They believe they need to be reformed, which, which means to be changed. And so the Reformation broke off from the Catholic Church. And so at this time, you've got three branches. You have the Eastern Orthodox branch going this way, the Catholic Church, and now you have this new branch breaking off. It's called the Protestant branch of the church. Now what's interesting about this is that over 2,000 years, you've got the Eastern Orthodox branch, which has kind of just remained one branch. Over 2,000 years, you have the Catholic Church, which has branched the Protestant Church, Anglican Church also. And so at most, the Catholic Church has three branches. At most, Eastern Orthodox has one branch. How many branches do you think the Protestant Reformation has? No, no, no. Hundreds? Are you kidding me? Over 40,000 branches. Oh, my gosh. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? If you're in this room, you are a part of the branch that, that comes off the Catholic Church, comes off the Protestant branch. And so from the Protestant branch, if you were Baptist or Presbyterian, if you're Methodist, if you're Charismatic or uh, um, Holiness or Pentecostal, if you were any of these, all the variations, you are from this branch that broke from the Catholic Church. And, and on this branch, there are all these thousands of different ways to do church. Now, before we kind of go into why this is, I've been thinking about my kids a little bit. I was thinking about, like, how can I explain the Reformation form of the church in a way that's, you know, kind of easier to understand. Because we get into all this stuff and it gets kind of boring. My oldest son, Jude, he is the perfect reformer. He is the perfect uh, Presbyterian Christian or Baptist Christian. Because for Jude, everything has to have an answer. He is not okay with question marks. If he asks a question and you give him a vague answer, he will do what? ask another question. And if you can't answer, if you even are honest enough to say, dude, I don't know the answer, will he stop? No, he will not stop. He will go to someone else. He assumes you're stupid. Okay, so, so dad's intelligence has reached an end. Who is smarter than dad? Let's go find someone else. And I will go on and on because he is convinced that every question has an answer. Every question. If you just ask, think, study, press hard enough, you will find an answer. Judah is also someone who, because of this drive for him to find answers, because he's so driven to ask questions, to learn, he also tends to be very self-reliant. He doesn't need dad, right? Because the moment that dad doesn't have an answer, he's moving on anyway, right? He is very independent. He wants to do things himself. He was the first child who told me, hey, dad, I would like to know how to whistle. I said, son, I don't even know where to start to teach you how to whistle. He woke up the next morning, and he could do what? Whistle. Stayed up all night until he figured it out. He said, Dan, it's about time for me to tie my shoes. I said, son, I don't even know how I tie my shoes. I just do it. He looked it up on YouTube. (laughs) He is the perfect example of what a Protestant, reforming Christian looks like. There are three tenets, okay? Here's the first one. You don't need anyone between you and Jesus. 
You have absolute connection to God without a pope or a bishop or a pastor. How do you feel about that? Okay, how about this? Number two, God is big and God is in control. Nod? Okay, how about three? You don't need a pastor or a bishop or a priest because you have the Bible. Nod? A few of you are like, I hate when he does this because like, I, I want to nod. But I'm afraid that I, that I will be wrong. Okay, if you nodded outside or inside with all three of those, okay, you fit in some way, shape, or form inside the Protestant branch of the church. How do you feel about that? Congratulations. You're all a bunch of good Protestants, okay? So in this, there are these three expressions. Remember, I don't need anyone between me and God. I have absolute access to God. God is big and he's in control. And because of this, I only need the Bible to connect to God. So the expression of the church, that sometimes Baptist expression or Presbyterian or Lutheran, these branches of the church have taught us that we have to value the Scriptures. The Scriptures have value that, that every individual, should have a Bible. How do you feel about that? Do you think everyone should have access to the Holy Scriptures? Yes. I used to also. <laughs> and then I became a pastor. And now I want to take all of your Bibles away from you. Because I realize not everyone studies. Not everyone even knows how to read. And some people should just, should just be told what to think. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not like... I'm not serious. I guess, I mean, obviously, I don't want you guys to run out of here. I do want you to keep your Bibles and, you know, like your Bible apps, all the good stuff. But there is a danger with this, right? I mean, what happens if I tell you that you don't need anybody? You just need the Bible. What happens when you come out of your bedroom and you think the Bible says this, and you come out of yours, and you come out of yours, and you come out of yours, and we all have different conclusions of what the Bible's saying? What do we do? If you're a true Protestant, you argue with each other. You say, you're an idiot, and you're an idiot, and you're stupid, and here's the right way to do it. So we're all going to do what? We're all going to go start our own little churches, correct? Because Grace Church isn't a, a Protestant church that broke off and did its own thing, is it? Irony, isn't it? And so in this, though, there is what happens is when the Bible becomes the sole foundation of your faith, how you understand this book determines whether or not you are a Christian or not. So the value of this movement is it tells us that we don't have to have people stand between us. We can have a relationship with God, specifically through the Holy Scriptures. I think this is valuable. I think it's something that we need. I think that, that history took a good turn when we saw the, the Bible introduced into our lives. Understand this. It is a young concept for you to have the Scriptures. If you were Jewish throughout most of history, you would not have access to any kind of a written Scripture. Your Scriptures primarily were oral, meaning there were stories passed down from generation on to on generation. How easy is it to pass down stories and keep them intact? Have you guys played uh, telephone before? Anybody? Okay. Imagine trying to take something like the Old Testament and pass it down verbally. From me to you. From you to you. Over generations. How about this? Over different languages. If I took a story in English 
And then I spoke to you in English, and you took it and translated it to Spanish, and you told the next person. They took it and translated it to French, and they took it and translated it, you know, to German. What would the story sound like on the other end? Do you think it would change at all? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. If I don't need anyone, and, and all I need is my ability to understand, there's a danger there. What happens whenever I begin to worship my own interpretation of the Scriptures more than I interpret the God of the Scriptures? What happens whenever I begin to value how I understand this book so much that the moment that someone else comes with a different idea, I'm challenged? How about this? If the Bible is the foundation of your entire relationship with God, if, you, if understanding this book rightly will determine your future, think about this. Whether or not you wake up after death with wings in a diaper on a cloud or you wake up on fire has to do with having the right answers to the most complex book in all of history that spans thousands of years, multiple cultures, histories, languages, and oh, by the way, a lot of it was passed down orally through stories before it was ever written down. But yet, I want you to have every answer perfect. This is the test of your life, people. 100% passes, and you get the diapers and the wings. If you get it wrong, you get the flame suit. You are welcome. How do you feel about that test? If you actually believe that, why would any of you spend anything, any time in your life working or taking care of your kids? You should be studying Greek and Aramaic in history, and philosophy, and sociology, you should learn all of these different things to make sure you understand the most complex book in the history of man. How do you feel about this? And oh, by the way, you just told me that you don't need me to stand between you and God. So when you stand before God, you get judged for your right answers, not mine. It's not the Pope's fault if you get the Bible wrong, because you should have been studying your Greek and Aramaic. How fluent are you? You can't blame Pastor Devin. Yeah, I went to seminar. I did time studying. But you know what? You don't need me between you and, and God. You've got Jesus and your holy book. So I hope you're all studying because the test is going to come up. How do you feel about this? If my relationship with God is having all of the right ideas, having the right answers about God, this should make us all a little bit uneasy. I'm not sure if everyone in this room is very good at test-taking. Anybody? One person. You're like, should I actually raise my hand or not? Now, what is the other approach to this? There's a dance partner that I would like to pair them with. It's this. As much as I value Jude, and I love Jude, and I think things do need answers, we have to ask hard questions. we got to use your brain. I love people who think who examine, who question things. I love that. I love this about the Reformation. I love this about my son, Jude. But I have another son. Who here knows my middle son, Liam? Liam is not a very good Protestant reformer. <laughs> he doesn't care so much about having all the right answers. He, he, he enjoys stories and books. But I'm not sure if he's going to love just sitting down studying ideas and concepts in books. See, in, in Jude's world, everything starts here. I process things through my brain first. I work them through 
analytically. I want to understand concepts and answers. I want to be concrete. See, Liam's world, how do I put this? Jude's world is made with rulers. Does that make sense? Everything is straight. Everything is measured. Everything has purpose. Liam's world is more like Dr. Seuss. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. There's more colors. There's more creativity. Things move. Things fly. Things talk. We're reading books yesterday. Judy's getting so mad because he's not enunciating a word correctly. He's like, Dad, I want to enunciate this word correctly. Yes. And Liam has his book going, He's jumping up now. He's going, show, show. I have this son where everything is measured and everything has an answer. Everything fits. Everything is neat and ordered. Everything must be examined. And this kid who just is alive and everything is color and everything is moving and creative and nothing is quiet. Nothing fits perfectly. Everything just is. He is a perfect Eastern Orthodox Christian. Now, if the reformer says that everything has an answer, everything fits. What we need is us in the Scriptures. We need to make sure that we approach God with the mind. Liam in the Eastern Orthodox says, we don't only connect to things mentally. Humans need more than information to understand God. We need to connect to God through senses, sight, smell, taste. We need to experience God. We need a God of wonder. God is not just the God of gravity and of physics and biology. God is also the God of the tides, of the stars, of, of ice cream. Because ice cream is wondrous. And we need to encounter God in ice cream. That's what Liam would say. Because see, the Eastern Orthodox Church, long before the Reformers ever existed, before Martin Luther was even a baby in diapers, dreaming up his Reformation. Eastern Orthodox broke away from the Catholic Church first. The first split we ever saw in the church was the split between the Catholics and the Orthodox. And when they went their own way, there are things that they made priority. The Orthodox Church said this. They said the first priority we have to have is history. We have to understand this, that we are a faith that has disagreements. And the only way for us to stay faithful to the first church, the only way for us to be faithful to Jesus, to what the disciples did, to what the church in Acts was, is if we agree to things that they agreed on. So what we're going to do is this. We know that we'll never all agree on the Scriptures. We'll never all agree on the Bible. It's too complex. There's too many different ways to go. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to major on the majors and minor on the minors. So what the early church did around around 300 A.D. is they had a meeting, and they they made these creeds, these, these... these uh, statements of faith that they all agreed on. And what they did, they said, these things are non-negotiable. These few things in this line, we're all going to agree that Christ is the Son of God, that that Christ is God incarnate, that Christ has come to redeem us from death. We're all going to agree on this, the short thing that fits on one piece of paper. We're going to make the box of inclusion a big box. And inside this box, we're going to leave room space for us to disagree. How do you feel about that? Should we be able to be in unity and still disagree? Because we agree on the majors and we have room to disagree on the minors. 
Now, you say that, but you're more Protestant than Orthodox, I promise you. How about this? In the Orthodox Church, there are bishops who teach that there is eternal torment hell. You will be on fire for the rest of eternity. There are Eastern Orthodox bishops who teach that all people will be saved, and hell is only a metaphor. And they're in the same church, eating at the same table, full unity, no argument. Because their agreement is not based on, on those doctors. Their agreement is not based on the Bible. Their agreement is based on agreements made before the Bible ever existed. They're, what they say is, as long as we agree with what the apostles agreed on before the Bible was ever created, we're all in the same boat. And now we have room to disagree. All right, Protestants, how do you feel about that? I have one person nodding. Are you okay with that? Are, are they still a Christian if they don't believe that people are going to be lit on fire for all eternity? And you say, absolutely not. I will not give up my eternal conscious torment. It just means too much to me. It's too dear to me. I could never part with someone being on fire for all of eternity. Come on now. What they say is this. We have to leave room for mystery. Mystery means things that are unknown, things that are unknowable, things that we only know exist, but we don't understand them well. It's to say that God, we have to understand this, to be orthodox is to say that we will always have a God who's bigger than us. And because God is God, there will always be God who doesn't fit in our box. There will always be God who's challenging us to expand our box. And there will always be a God who leaves us with question marks that we cannot answer with our mind. We will never be able to reason to get the perfect doctrine. We'll never be able to master and to figure out to figure out all of God. We will never be able to master, to control, to put God in a box. God will always be outside of our boxes. We have to leave room for mystery. If we're going to follow God, we have to let God be God. How do you feel about that? Liam loves that. He's all about that. He thinks everything's mysterious. Everything is beautiful for Liam. Everything is a problem to be solved for Jude. How does that work? Why does that work the way it does? I love both of these. We need these things, don't we? But these things are intention at times. If there is a dance for the Protestant Reformation, it is a march. Correct? Everything is in order. Everything is on a cadence. There is structure, and everyone falls in line because the Bible sets the cadence, it sets the rhythm, and we live according to the Word of God. Have you guys ever heard that before? <laughs> Amen. Okay. It's the idea like this. It's the idea that anything we ever need, the answer is in this book. If we just look at it the right way, we get the right interpretation, we use the right language, the right cultural analysis, every answer is in the book. We just got to dig deep enough, and every answer is in there. Is it okay for a Christian to colonize Mars? I don't know, but I guarantee it's in there. Let's just take this verse that's talking about going to Syria, and let's if you look at it back in the Aramaic, I think they're saying, is it okay for Christians to fly in jets? Well, there's a verse about chariot with wings in there somewhere. It's the idea that everything is in this book. But the Orthodox say this, 
That book will never give you all the answers. As complex and beautiful and intricate and crucial and God-inspired as it is, it is not everything. It will never give you what it was never created to give you. It can't answer all your questions. And guess what? To be orthodox is to say this. We will always have a faith that requires faith. You will always be left with question marks, or there will always be an unknowing, and there will always be uncertainty. We will always have to trust. When I first went to seminary years and years ago, first book I got, systematic theology book. It's about like this big. The idea is this. When you go through the table of contents, it gives you all the different themes. So grace, or angels, or atonement theory, or prayer, or Revelation, whatever it is, whatever question you have, go to the table of contents. And you find it, and you flip to page 922, and you flip it open, and there's your answer. In a beautiful, succinct sentence with all the footnotes, hey, here's what the Bible says about this. Here's what the Bible says about this, and about this, and about this. It's beautiful. Everything fits. Everything has its place, and every question has an answer. I used to love that book. It's my favorite book. I went to it all the time. But after years of pastoring people and having to sit through funerals and having to sit in hospital rooms and having to live life and figure out how to be a dad and be a husband and how to be a friend and how to be a person and a human and having to to study the Scriptures and get deeper in it and realize all the intricacies of the interpretations and the languages and the history and all the different ways people have interpreted this book for thousands of years, I came to a place where I realize when I approach the Scriptures, I am less Reformed than I am Orthodox. Because to approach life with honesty, you will find out that not everything makes sense. Not every question has a beautiful answer for it. Not everything fits. The more you get into your Bible, you'll begin to realize that the Orthodox have something right. The Orthodox value history. And because they value history, they never forget that you only have a Bible because of the fact that they were valuing diversity. You have four Gospels in your Bible because all four of them tell a different story. We could sit here and do a series. I could show you how your Gospels don't line up. They even tell the same stories with different details, not because they're showing different details, because they, they told the story differently. There's one Gospel that says that Jesus told this story when he was this age, at this point of his ministry, and the other Gospel says he did it at the end of his ministry. And then, of course, when, when this Gospel said he told this parable, he used this word. The other Gospel says he used, no, 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 he said a different word. And the reason you have four Gospels is because the Eastern Orthodox know that you had all these different churches spread out through the throughout the world. And when they tried to create one Bible, everyone disagreed. No, 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 no. The gospel we got was Mark's gospel, and we've been studying that for two generations. The gospel we got was was Matthew's, or the gospel we got was Luke's. And everyone wanted to keep their gospel because it was valuable to them. The only way to find agreement was to include all the gospels. See, if you talk to reformers, they say, no, 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 no. all the gospels line up. You just got to do a lot of work. You just have to figure it out. It's in there. I remember in college, I sat under a tree for six hours, and I tried to figure out how to make these parables line up. And I just sat there for hours trying to figure, okay, no, I, I, wait, if you do this, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. Matthew and Luke talking about the same parable. The one gospel says that Jesus is talking about all those who are poor in spirit. And then Luke says, no, 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 forget that, Matthew. Everyone who's poor and has no money. 
Those are the ones who God, Jesus is going to bless. Two completely different words, two completely different meanings. When you begin to study and you understand that the entire book that, you're, that you have, that you hold, is not even based off the original documents, that the Gospels that you have were based off of hundreds of years old documents that were passed out through all different history, and that you don't even have the original documents they were made with. Does that mean the Scriptures are not valuable? Absolutely not. Does that mean they're not inspired? Absolutely not. What it means is you should be comfortable with a little bit of gray. You should be comfortable leaning and having faith to encounter God in the most complex book compiled in human history, but allowing it to be what it is, complex, beautiful, intricate, mysterious, frustrating at times. You've got to find a way to take this march and marry it to real life. There, there's something I see a lot pastoring. People who come from the military, they get frustrated with like civilian life. Because in the military, everything is regimented, everything has a purpose, everything has a place, there's structure, there's order, and we do what we're told. Everything just works like a machine. Everything flows. But when I leave this, I come into a world where there isn't the uniform order. It's not structured the way it's supposed to be. People don't do what they're told to do. There's questions and there's conflict and there's things just don't line up. There's a lack of purpose and symmetry to life. When you go from the Reformed march where everything is uniform and robotic, how do we marry that to another dance? So if the Reformed dance is more of like a, a march, what is the dance of like the Eastern Orthodox Church? Now, I have a volunteer I want to have help me. Pastor Jay, I was told that you were quite the disco dancer back in the day. <laughs> so, what I, so what I'm trying to think here is that the, it's the Eastern Orthodox dance it's more like a disco line dance. You know a disco line dance. I think you went to a few discos back in the day. Would you show up and show us kind of a disco line dance? Oh, you've got the perfect partner. He's got hip movements, right? Come on. Okay, so disco line dance, real simple. Basically, you're in one place. Of course, they do these weird things with their hands. And so it's like a step. It's this and this. And then they take a step and I do. And they <laughs> it's real simple. I'm not a disco dancer, so I'm not going to do disco. Here's the value of the disco dance. There is uniformity in the sense that we're all doing this, similar movements. We're all moving to the same rhythm. But the beauty of the disco line dance is a few people, when you do that, you have the ability to freestyle. In the middle of what would you show us a freestyle? Come on. I've had to do this for like four weeks in a row. You want me to do one? That's my job, okay. And so, you know, in the middle of it, in the middle of, uh, of your very simple step-to-step, -step, you know, side clap, if you want to throw in a little bit of this, you're free to. That's okay. You're still part of the dance. It's okay if you want to get a little bit unique in the way you react to the rhythm of the Spirit of God, correct? <laughs> the rhythm of the Spirit of God. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I wish you would have shown them some of your disco moves. And so the difference is this. In the Eastern Orthodox expression, there is unity. There is the idea that we have to agree on some things. Some things cannot be compromised. To be Christian is to agree on certain ideas. But these ideas are few. There are a few things which are the major milestones of the faith we cannot disagree on. 
But outside of that, there is gray area. There is room for us to interpret differently. We will never be able to reach unity in the faith if the Scriptures alone are the judge. It's impossible. History has told you this. If we continue to say that the only thing our faith is based on is the Holy Scriptures, we will continue to be increasingly divided. How about this? How easy is it for you and your spouse or your friends to agree on where to go eat when you're out in the car? So easy, isn't it? I mean, seriously. I mean, okay. How about you with your friends or your family? How easy is it to agree on what to go do on a Friday night? Is it easy? Does everyone agree? Let's take the idea and let's take a book that comprises thousands of stories, that comprises thousands of years of history, multiple cultural norms, all different languages, been translated all back and forth through all different languages, been translated even from oral stories and oral histories, and let's agree to understand all of this book, because I know you've all even read the Bible, all of it, right? Who's read every page in the Bible? Don't raise your hand, jerk. (laughs) Don't raise your hand. We don't want to know. Even if we all had read the Bible, are we going to be able to come to full agreement on everything that it means? We have to leave space. And so in this way, we have to find a way to marry these two dances. We have to find a way to marry these two movements. The reform movement is right. We have access to God. We need to value our ability to connect to God through Christ without a pope or a priest or a pastor. They're also right that the Scriptures are a gift from God, that we are able to connect to God through the sacred Scriptures which were inspired through His movements throughout all of human history. But the Orthodox are right too. The church existed for over 350 years before there ever was a Bible. Close to five generations of followers of Jesus existed before we ever had a Bible to lead us or guide us. And yet, we chose to find unity before a Bible ever existed. We had more unity in the church before the Bible ever existed than we did after it. And that because of this, we need to value the Bible, but understand this, we have to protect unity without uniformity. The goal is to be in relationship. The goal is not to be the same. And we have to understand that even though God is powerful and sovereign, God is still God. There's always going to be parts of God that are mysterious. God will always be outside of our our reason, of our logic. He will never fit inside of our doctrines or our books. He will never perfectly fit into anything man-made, period. And as long as we're willing to live in this tension, to value the Scriptures, but to know that God is not confined to the Scriptures. It is the book of God. It is not the God of the book. Does that make any sense? He's not the genie in the bottle. How about that? No? Okay. It's a book about God. It's not the God confined to the pages of the book. God will always be outside human experience, human reason, human logic. But God is to be found in the Scriptures as well. We have to be willing to understand that there is purpose and value in meeting God through our minds. And we're giving our minds to to reason, to think, to connect, to understand, to relate. But we are more than just our minds. We are more than just our intellects. We need to connect to God, not just mentally, but emotionally, experientially. 
We need to be people who understand that there's value in finding God, not just in ideas. That our salvation is not just based on ideas or right thinking about God. But there is a idea, there is a, a, a rootedness of connection, of relation, of interacting with God that we're called to as well. And the value for us is this. If we truly desire to encounter God, why would we ever want to give up the richness of encountering God in all these different ways we could have? Why would we forfeit encountering God through all of the power of mystery, of experience, to only encounter Him with our mind? 